He ended up being a very wicked, a very unholy, a very unrighteous man. Uh, we can see his life um, in, in the end of chapter 4. But there's a righteous lineage, and that's going through the line of Seth. By righteous lineage, we're talking about those who are not only doing right, but they believe rightly. They, they know God, they walk with God, even to the point where there's going to be two men in this lineage now, over this period of time who specifically it says about their life that they walked with God. That's going to be Noah which we'll touch on just at the end of tonight and going, of course, into chapter 6 and forward. But as well, Enoch, who we talked about, he was the only one in this whole lineage where everyone, the whole lineage worked this way. They were born, they lived X amount of years. They had a kid. They had many kids, many sons, many daughters. And then they lived some more. And then they died. That's right. You guys remembered. It's right there. They lived, they had kids, they lived they died. That's pretty much life, isn't it? Right? That's the life of human existence. That is the life of a sin-cursed world and sin-cursed bodies. That is the life that shows us the temporariness of life. Now think about this. The Bible tells us that life is, is just a, a vapor, right? Here today, gone tomorrow, just like that. You know, it was even that way for Methuselah. 969 years, and yet life was just a drop in a bucket. Why? Because for God, comparatively, he has been an eternity past to eternity future all at the very same time. So 969 years to the Lord is nothing. We had looked last week uh, over in uh, 2 Timothy chapter 3 for a good bit, looking at sort of what the days of Noah looked like, much of the mocking, much of the ridicule and things. We'll touch on a little bit of that tonight as well. But I want us to look here, verse 25 down to 31. We'll get into verse 32 as well tonight. I'll just go ahead and read that. It tells us here, And Methuselah lived in 187 years and begat Lamech. Methuselah lived, after he begat Lamech, 782 years and begat sons and daughters. And all the days of Methuselah were 969 years, and he died. Moves on, he says, And Lamech lived in 182 years and begat a son. And he called his name Noah, saying, This same shall comfort us concerning uh, our work and toil of our hands because of the ground which the Lord hath cursed. And Lamech lived after he begat Noah 595 years and begat sons and daughters. And all the days of Lamech were 777 years. And he died. Now think about that number. 777. Seven. We're going to get into that tonight. It's going to be kind of interesting, all right? It says, And Noah was 500, uh, was 500 years old. Uh, excuse me. And Noah was 500 years old. And Noah begat Shem, Ham, and Japheth. And then we get into chapter 6 with the flood and judgment and all that stuff. We'll get into that in a couple weeks, all right? Now tonight we're going to be focusing in here on Lamech and getting into the end of this section. We want to look here that Lamech is carrying the torch here, this torch of faith. He, uh, his father, his grandfather, his great-grandfather, his great-great-great-grandfather, all the way up to Seth, has followed the Lord. As a matter of fact, it told us this about Seth back in chapter 4, verse number 26. And, and to Seth, to him also were born a son, and he called his name Enos. Then began men to call upon the name of the Lord. We had talked about this. This is the whole theme of the rest of this lineage in chapter 5, that they called upon the name of the Lord. Now, what is implied here because of this, that then men, came, uh, then men began to call upon the name of the Lord, showing us that then every other man in Genesis chapter 5, them and their households are calling upon the name of the Lord. What does that mean? It means to worship God in spirit and in truth. It means to worship God, to know God, to walk with God, to be right with God. It means to absolutely put your trust, your faith, your dependence, your everything upon God, His promise, and His provision. And we've talked about this a lot. The promise and provision of God 
is the, the Word of God and the work of God. And the promise and provision of God are found in the Lord Jesus Christ. The whole book from Genesis to Revelation, the entire Bible is about the promise and provision of God. That is about Christ. Who He is, what He has done, what He provides. And all of it is to get us back into His presence. Right From the very beginning, the, His presence was there and readily available for Adam and Eve to enjoy. But because of sin, God cursed the ground. God cursed bodies. God cursed the earth. That things weren't going to get any better. And as we can see today, things are not getting any better. As a matter of fact, no matter what any climate specialist would tell you today, there's no reversing this, right? You can have as much electric cars, electric this, electric that, right? I got electric microwave and electric toaster, right? That, that, that's doing just fine. You can do all that stuff all you want. You know what's going to happen in this world? It is going to burn up one day. And it's going to be made a new heavens and a new earth. We're going to dwell with righteousness. We're going to be with our Lord. He's going to right all the wrongs. There will be much more than even just to return to a garden. It's going to be, we're going to be returning to a new heaven, a new earth, and the city of God where God himself will dwell with his people. That's what we're looking forward to. That's even better than, than Eden. Now, Eden was what we were meant to live for. But here's what's something that we've seen, and we're going to touch on this tonight as well, that Faith does much more than look at what God is doing right now or even what God used to do. Faith is looking ahead to the end of all things. No matter where you are on your faith journey, you know what should be on your mind? Heaven. No matter if you got saved yesterday or whether you got saved 50 years ago, whether you are 9 or 90, right? 90's, we're doing good, right? No matter where you are in between that, you know something? Every Christian should be looking forward to heaven. We should be looking forward to leaving this world behind. And I don't sound, say that in some sort of morbid fashion of, you know, where we should be just Eeyore in this world. Oh, this is so terrible. It's so awful here. This place is awful. And it's going to get awfuler. It's going to get worse. And it's going to get worser. Nevertheless, God is going to make it right. We are not looking for the temporary. We're not, we are living in the temporary, but we're not living for the temporary. We are living in the temporary for the eternal. And so our eyes must be fixed upon that which is ahead of us. Faith looks up and faith looks ahead. Now, in this, faith is constantly throughout this lineage looking to the removal of the curse and a return to what they would believe to be a garden. But here, as we talked about earlier, we're looking forward to what Revelation 21 and 22 describe, as well as many passages in Isaiah and Ezekiel and referencing what that new, uh, that, that eternal day is going to look like. But as we come here, I want us to look here at Lamech. Lamech's life tells us a, a lot about him and down through his lineage from Lamech and to Noah. There's a lot to digest here. Swanson writes, Lamech's godly son carrying on the lineage of Christ was Noah. Before dying at the age of 777, which we're getting into that in just a minute, Lamech made a prophecy of Noah. Noah's name, the same shall comfort us concerning the work and toil of our hands because of the ground which the Lord hath cursed. The prophecy probably is a reference to how Noah would continue the human race, one, but carrying on the godly seed ultimately in the coming of Christ. God, through His Spirit, revealed to Lamech that his son would be a special blessing. Indeed, Noah became a preacher of righteousness in a godless world who by faith became heir of the righteousness which is by faith. What we're going to find here is that the Spirit kind of lets Lamech in on a little clue about what to name his son he names it for a reason. We've talked about these other names throughout this chapter already. What these names are doing is it's much more than just giving a name to another child. It is looking forward to 
the promises of God being fulfilled. Right? It is looking to the provision or the outworking or the very work of God's Word of what He has spoken. Now, the greatest promise up to this point that has been given it was made back in the garden. Genesis 3.15 Now I will put enmity between thee and the woman and between thy seed and her seed. It shall bruise thy head and thou shalt bruise his heel. That is the picture in the prophecy, the Proto-Evangelium, the, the first gospel. It is the first mention of what is going to come, of what Jesus is going to do there on the cross for us. That full and final and complete atonement that the Lamb of God would be slain so that no other lambs, no other goats, no other bulls, no other anything would ever have to be offered up again uh, for the sacrifice of sins, but that Christ's blood is sufficient. It is greater than anything else. Uh, one drop of His blood is greater than all else combined, but He did much more than drop uh, one little drop. It, he spilled and shed His blood as His body was broken for us to cover us, to cleanse us from all unrighteousness, to wash us so that we might be made white as snow, as white as wool, to, to purify our hearts from the inside out, to do something that nothing else nor no one else could ever do. So Lamech here, clearly in his godliness, is naming his son Noah. And perhaps this is seen in chapter 5. This truth in that perhaps for the greatest thing that anyone can ever do is to raise up another generation. Now, you think about this. Whether you've got kids or don't have kids, if you have seen kids, work with kids, no kids, right? We've got kids ministry on Sunday morning, Sunday school. Think about even these boxes that are going to be sent away. Think about the kids in your life, whether they're nieces, nephews, grandkids, great-grandkids, neighbor kids, or, or you name them, right? And, and think about this. These children need to know Christ. They need to know the Scriptures. And, and, and what we have found is that from generation to generation, it seems you can trace there's been much less uh, godliness from generation to generation, but this is nothing new. Right? We, we act as if it is newer. that, uh, how'd this happen? Well, it happened the same way it happened to Israel. There was a good king. He did that which is right in the eyes of the Lord. And then he died. And then there was his son who took over and he did that which is evil in the sight of the Lord and he waxed worse and worse and the people got worse and worse. Here's what we find. An idolatrous heart leads to an immoral life. And so if we have seen the, these things happening, the only way around them, the only way to squash this out is to not browbeat children into moral lessons and coloring little pretty pictures for Sunday school. It is to teach them from the time they wake up to the time they go to sleep as parents, as, as uh, the church of God, to teach them to know Christ. Now, if you would expect them to walk with Christ throughout their day, that certainly would mean the same for you. How will they be able to walk with Christ in their day from when they wake up to the time they go to sleep unless they see it? It's one thing to hear it. You know how many times as a kid that I got told, do as I say? Oh, see, so y'all heard that too, right? Now, how many of you love that saying? When mom and dad said that, that's not right. It makes no sense. And then that got me in more trouble, right? And then I, I had to quickly learn, like, you just, just, just let that go, right? Nevertheless, that saying is, is awful. Do as I say, not as I do. How about you do what you're supposed to do? Show them what it means. Teach them the Bible. Teach them to love this Bible. Teach them to love the God of this Bible. Teach them to walk with God as Enoch did. Matter of fact, twice. His life is described. Enoch walked with God. 
Enoch walked with God. One day, you're going to die. And your kids and your grandkids are going to have me bury you, right? That sounds awful, but that's, what's, that's what I'm here for. <laughs> and we're going to sit in here, we're going to sit or, or down the road in the chapel. And they're going to be over on this side, because that's where family sits. And they're going to be passing tissues boxes, slinging snot and tears, and talking about grandma and grandpa, and talking about how nice they were, Talk about how they used to give you a $5 bill when they'd see it at Christmas or talk about all these memories. Will they say that grandma and grandpa walked with God? Will they say that mom and dad walked with God? You know, I've done a good bit of funerals. And I've maybe had two or three, maybe, where the kids and the grandkids had all that to say, but also could say they walked with God. Everything else you could just forget. Walking with God takes care of the rest. You walk with God, you'll be a nice grandpa, grandma. You, you'll, you'll do the gifts. You'll do the nice things. You'll do the discipline. But walk with God, that's the umbrella that takes care of the rest. right? But here, Lamech is someone as well who is living a life of faith. He's looking up. He's looking out. And even by naming his son Noah this, it is clearly showing that he's awaiting the promise and provision of God. He's awaiting an eternal salvation. He's not just looking for a temporary fix. He's not going, Lord, would you just move me away from here, away from all these heathens? Lord, all my cousins and second cousins from chapter 4 are just wicked and vile. They're awful people. Lord, just move me away. Let me just build my own little place and just keep me there and keep me safe. No, no. He wants to be used of God in his generation, in his day, as his father, as his grandfather, and as what he's raising up his son Noah to do because he knows that there's coming a day where God will say, enough, and God will make it right. God always does that which is right. He'll never not do that which is right. Now, Lamech's name here is of interest. It is a harder name in its translation, but there is some mystery to it, but most uh, translators of his name bring it down to mean this. Uh, they, they have it to be understood as a translation as powerful or strong man. Powerful or strong man. Now this is interesting to note here. How old does he live to be? 777 years. That's three sevens in a row. Now there's another gentleman that's going to be born one day. And he's going to have a number associated with him. The number that's going to be associated with him is not going to be 777. It's going to be 666. He's called the man of lawlessness, a son of perdition. He's called the Antichrist. Now you go, where are we going? Because that's not right there. Hold on. Hang on with this. As we talked about last week, God from the very beginning is telling us what the end's going to be like. From the very beginning, he's saying there's going to be an end. From having six days of little creation and a seventh day of rest, God won't tired, by the way. He didn't need the rest. The rest was for you. Six is this, right? The number six itself is the number of man. Six was man's work week. Seventh, it's God's day. Right? One of the best things we could ever do in our country is shut her down like Chick-fil-A. One of the best things us as Christians could ever do, (laughs) 
hey, and I'm guilty. I want you to go ahead and let me put this out. I am guilty too. Is on a Sunday, go home and eat at the house. <laughs> Instead of tipping a measly tip to somebody that we go, well, they ain't in church. <laughs> I'm guilty too. Yeah. You see, here, the number of man is showing us something important here. But his number here, Lamech, 777, what is this? That number 7 by itself is that of completion or sufficiency, even to some degree of that of perfection. You know, one of the the peak point of creation, day 6, when man is created, because God didn't speak him into existence. He reached down in the dirt that he had spoken into existence, formed and fashioned, breathed breath of life into him. No one else got that made man a living soul. Man is set apart from all of creation because man was to be in authority over all creation, right? So squish all the ants you want, all right? God said, you know, <laughs> think about this. Day seven, though, day seven's the real beauty. God made man not just for days one through six. He made him for day seven. He made him so he could work days one through six so that he could rest on day seven. But man was never to live any of those days without the presence of God. So that means your work week was to be in the presence and power of God. And that means day seven, that the presence and power of God was to be there in that day of rest, to rest in God. As God rested from his work, we are to rest in his work. We are to rest in what he has done, what he has accomplished. We're not to rest and go back, boy, I did some good work this week. No. Boy, God allowed me to do this. Boy, God did this through me. Boy, how good God is. Now I get to rest on the seventh day with Him. I get to see Him. But let's think on a bigger scale. Let's zoom out a little bit. Days one through six, some make the argument that they are ages and things. Nevertheless, that seventh day of rest points to an eternal day. An eternal day of rest. That it points to that glorious Sabbath day where we will be in a Sabbath rest with our Lord forever. And I can tell you this, even working in heaven ain't going to be like working on this earth, is it? No. That's right. Nor is it supposed to be. Work was meant for man, but so was rest. But the work and rest were never meant to be without God. Now, when we understand Lamech's name to be power here, this is what's important. He lives to be 777 years old. That's a picture of something greater. If 666 is the number of man and it's an unholy trinity, what are we looking at 777? God's telling us something here. God has given Lamech to be a picture here. that His name means power. Let me ask you this. Is the Antichrist going to be powerful? Yeah, pretty simple, right? He's going to be Satan's puppet, if you will, on this earth during the tribulation period, right? And during those seven years, he's going to be, get, he's going to, he's going to be working. And he's going to be working his tail off. He's going to do all sorts of things. And every one of them is going to be wicked and vile as can be. Some of them ain't going to look wicked and vile to the world because let's not forget, the devil does uh, the vast majority of his work as an angel of light. Not so much as the roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Now, he's a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour as an angel of light. He's looking as a thief who is ready to, and desiring to steal, kill, and destroy. 
as angel of light. He's always trying to mask his darkness and to mask the fact that he is subverting the will and word of God. What is Satan's motive? Right? His motive is to dethrone God. What is his means of doing so? By coming to man and saying, did God really say? Now, there will be no one who will say, did God really say quite as loudly nor as eloquently as the Antichrist one day. Now, if his number being 666, right, we see that on the Holy Trinity, we see that he is going to be a one of power, right? Matter of fact, power is going to be given to him to do some, some uh, things that were going to look like he's a Messiah. The Antichrist is going to do miracles. The Antichrist is going to bring about this uh, pseudo world peace, all these different things, right? He's going to be praised. He's going to be worshipped. And he's going to declare that he should be worshipped. That day is coming. Praise the Lord, I ain't planning on being here. But now let's think about this. Lamech is number 777. 777. 777. And his name means power. Or powerful one. Strong one. Now in this, church writes here, it is possible that Lamech represents the second coming of Christ. First of all, the possible definition strong man is definitely descriptive of our Savior's coming in power and glory to single-handedly conquer the armies of the world. Second, Lamech lived 777 years. Those three numbers contrast with the number of the Antichrist. Six represents the number of man and seven represents the number of divine completion. It is the number of deity. The number of that final man of sin is given in Revelation 13, 18 as 666. Surely this 777 covering the life of Lamech prophetically represents the future strong man who will come and win the day. Furthermore, Lamech produced Noah, whose name means rest. And like manner, at his return, the Lord Jesus Christ will produce the kingdom, also known as the great Sabbath rest. Now you back up a quote here. Well, it's not a quote, but I wrote it down there. Lamech's life and naming of his son Noah, which means rest, comfort, consolation, shows that he was a man with a powerful message and testimony before the Lord. He preached much, probably like Enoch preached. We remember Enoch uh, told us, uh, was referenced in the New Testament, where it said that he preached and his message was that the Lord is coming with his angels, that the Lord is coming back. So what were they preaching then? The Lord is coming back. Presence of God. So you could say, to some degree, from Genesis to Revelation, the goal of God is to bring people back into His presence so that we might live with Him. You could look at this as well. We're coming up on Christmas, and there was hundreds of years of silence, right? Here's what the message has sounded like for 400 years. That's bad. Then Christ, Emmanuel, God with us, born. God's presence, back with man. To die, to allow man to come to God. God's promise and provision is to bring us His presence and to bring us into His presence, to make a way when there is no way. The greatest truth that we can hold on to, that is not just for our salvation, but for every part of our daily life. Our very Christian walk is the very same truth that God has given us His Word 
in his work. He's given us his promise, his provision, and it's to always, no matter whether we are working or resting, to bring us into his presence. We are designed to live that way both now and later. Now, when we see this, we see that there's a coming man who's going to be lawless and unrighteous, but we see here this man, Lamech. To some degree, I believe that his name, his number, points to Christ, that when Christ returns, that he will bring rest. Noah's name here is very important. Noah is, is prophesied here that he shall bring comfort concerning our work and toil of our hands. What's Christ going to do when he comes back? He's going to do just that, isn't he? You go and you read Old and New Testament prophecy of what that day, that coming kingdom is going to look like. That's what it's going to look like. All the more to get us to that eternal day of Revelation 21 and 22. An eternal rest with the Lord. Now it says then, because of the ground which the Lord hath cursed. Notice God's patience and kindness here. That God said, I cursed it because you disobeyed. You can't fix the ground. You can't fix your situation. But because I'm merciful and my mercy endures forever, I'll change it. That's what Christ does. That's what the gospel does. That's what the very message of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus does for us. That it takes from a place where our life is cursed, we are cursed, the ground is cursed, this world is cursed, we are sin cursed. It's cursed. It's cursed. But the Bible tells us that Christ became a curse for us. He bore the curse for us. So that way then Revelation 22 can then tell us, and there shall be no more curse. So not only is God bringing everyone to His presence, but you know what's not allowed in God's presence? The curse. Sin. So the great truth of the Bible that's bringing us back to the presence of God, and granted, we might be going the long way around, much like Israel did for years and years and years in the wilderness. Nevertheless, those by faith will get to enter into that rest. And the benefit of that rest is not only that we get to see our Lord, not only that, that Sabbath eternal day, but there shall be no more curse. I'll never fail God again. I'll never uh, come up short. I'll never be unfaithful and as a matter of fact my faith will be made sight even better now let's look here verse 29 he called his name Noah and that name Noah as we talked about here a little bit idea of rest comfort consolation right that's a beautiful picture what's Noah going to see in his life though a whole lot of judgment he's going to watch where he's going to preach for decades. Repent! Repent! The Lord's coming. The rain's coming. Judgment's coming. It's coming. It's coming. Only those who have faith can see what's coming. If you only have temporal, physical eyes, you can't see what's ahead in the future. This is why the world is going the way it's going. This is why the world says, well, let's do it. Y'all know that you can look this up. It's kind of crazy. There was recently, just in the past few days, a summit at what they believe to be uh, the spot of Mount Sinai. Anybody heard, anybody heard this yet? All right. 
there were several world leaders, religious world leaders from different walks. And you know what they done? Here's what they did. They said, we got new Ten Commandments. And these new Ten Commandments are going to be climate change commandments. Yes. They're going to save the world. That's what they think. Little do they know they're going to be here when it's burning. The audacity to blaspheme the Lord, but let's think about this. It's not much different than what the children of Israel did at the bottom of that mountain. Man's idolatry and immorality knows no end. So Christ is coming. You can look for all your signs, all you want about the man of sin, that number 666 coming, all you want to. I'm thankful that Christ is coming. I'm not looking for, I'm not looking for an antichrist. I'm looking for the Christ. Those who are looking for an antichrist will find him. And he'll be there. And there will be plenty who are waiting. Right now, even the Jewish people themselves are saying, the Messiah is coming, the Messiah is coming. He is, but he already come once, and they don't think he come once. And they're going to be in for a rude awakening because they're going to look at that antichrist and go, ooh, this looks nice. He says the right things, does the right things, brings about, this must be it. Little do they know what will come. Now with this, there's going to be plenty of people who aren't going to listen to Noah. The same way there were plenty of people who didn't listen to Lamech, or Methuselah, or Enoch. These were all not just a line of godly men, these were a line of godly men who preached that the Lord was coming. The message of Genesis 5 is the same message we need to be preaching today. The Lord is coming. Are you ready? Now Noah and his sons here, these last couple verses set us up for chapter 6, which would be a, a very deep study. There's going to be some, some, some deep nuggets to dive into there. It tells us in verse 30, And Lamech lived after he begat Noah 595 years, and begat sons and daughters, and all the days of Lamech were 777 years, and he died. Noah, rest, consolation, was 500 years old, and Noah begat Shem, Ham, and Japheth. It will be through Noah and his sons that the human race will continue on after the great and terrible judgment of the flood. However, it also be through Shem that God will call out his covenant people Israel and through great patience and grace bring the promised seed, Jesus Christ the righteous, into the world to offer redemption to every tribe, tongue, and nation. God's not just giving us a silly old genealogy, nor is he giving us a phone book. He is showing us that he is fulfilling his very word and that he is working to do what? Not just give us his promise or his provision, which is found in Jesus Christ, but to bring us back into his presence, which guess what? That too is found only in Jesus Christ. So what he is doing here is doing what else in Colossians chapter 2 tell us, that all the mystery, all these things, all these doctrines are hid in Christ. If you want to know about creation, know about Jesus. If you want to know about Israel, look to Christ. If you want to know about the church, look to Christ. If you want to know about the prophets, look to Christ. If you want to know about end times, look to Christ. Look to Christ. Look to Christ. In Jesus is the promise, provision, and presence of God together that bring us to the Lord. Phillips writes here, those then, in chapter 5 is what he's referencing, were the unworldly, 
that noble line of men who lived amid vice and violence, but who forward quietly with God, living in separation from the ungodly, handing on the torch of testimony from one to another, proving that God never leaves Himself without a witness. And that's why you and I are still here today. God has not left this world without a witness. Jesus said, you're going to be the light of the world. Now, I am the light of the world, is what Jesus would go on to say, but you're the moon. You're going to reflect the sun. We're here in this world. The moon does not produce its own light or its own heat. It merely reflects the sun. You and I are to be as such. We are to reflect the light and the heat of Christ Himself. We are to be a a lampshade, if you will, that directs the light into the dark corners that the Lord Himself will continue to draw His sheep home into the fold. That, That Christ would continue to redeem sinners and that we would go out and continue to preach the same message that these men preached and that the Lord is coming, the Lord is coming, the Lord is coming. And that we would walk with the Lord as they did. Now we've got five quick lessons to end on here tonight. Sort of to wrap it up if we can, to put it as much of a pretty little bow on it as possible. One, God is patient and continuously seeking to bring about, about His promised Redeemer to His now fallen creation. Notice that it was not man that sought God's salvation in Genesis 3. Man ran from it. Man ran and hid and tried to work his own salvation out. God sought man. Why? Because he's God. Gracious, merciful, kind, compassionate. As we talked about in 2 Peter chapter 3, long-suffering. Not willing that any should perish, but that all come to repentance. He is drawing us now. And the very reason why the flood didn't happen in chapter 3, which it could have. God would have been just in flooding the garden. He didn't. He could have flooded it in chapter 4, as wicked as it has gotten at that point. Could have done it up to this point, but he didn't. And he's going to give more years because Noah's got some preaching to do. We see that God is continuously bringing about his plan. Second, we find that man is constantly running from God and their degenerative idolatry and immorality. The world is not only going to get worse, but mankind is going to get worse. You and I, at this point in time in chapter 4, 5, and 6, We think we have it bad in this world now. We think things are bad now. Things were bad then. You say, well, they didn't have plastic and they didn't have atomic bombs and they didn't have this or that. They didn't need those things. They could do bad all by themselves. They were just as wicked, just as vile. And as a matter of fact, even to the point where God said, this is it. And everybody except for eight folks that got onto a giant boat with a whole bunch of animals two by two were going to be killed. We're going to be killed because they did not trust God's promise, provision, because they did not desire His presence. Sin will cause us to not want His presence. Sin will cause us to not trust in His promise. Sin will cause us to reject His provision. Third, judgment will always come to the ungodly, but rest awaits those who walk with God by faith. The Psalms are filled with this idea as a psalmist is overwhelmed by his struggle and his trials in life where he takes hope and rest in the fact that God will judge the wicked. 
So the next time somebody cuts you off, <laughs> I'm just kidding. The next time, right, this world gets you to where you just go, this is just terrible. Well, it's going to get worse. And God will judge, and He will judge rightly. But for those of us who know Christ, we'll get to enter into rest. And I thank the Lord for that. Fourth, we find that grace is poured out upon all by the Lord. Those who were lost in their day received grace because they were allowed to live, even in their sin. But those who are saved, boy, the grace that's poured out upon them. You know how much grace it takes to save a soul? I don't know if we could ever measure it. But if we could, would it take more grace to save one soul over another? I don't think so. Nevertheless, what we find is that God's grace from the very beginning to the very end remains unchanging and unending. It is a continual gift, a giving of Himself, an act of His kindness and all of His attributes, and even His grace is an act of His holiness because He has a holy love for His creation, desiring that they would come back to where they need to be. This last lesson that we find is this. <laughs> and it's, uh, I think it might just be a note for me, and that's time is short. <laughs> so I'm looking at the one. Time is short. But that is our last lesson tonight. Time is very short. As we see things like that happening over on Mount Sinai where there's a bunch of pagan people who think they're something religiously and they think that they can do all those things, it ought to perk your ears up a little bit. It ought to not make you go, oh no, i gotta, I got to stock up on Chef Boyardee and hide in a bunker. No, no. It ought to make us gear up, stand up, speak up. That the Lord is coming. Today, now more than ever, what we need is not to go run and hide, but to be courageous and to be courageous in declaring the truth that has always been preached. And that is this trinity of a message. There's three points in a poem that these men preach, that we preach today, and that is the promise of God, the provision of God, the presence of God. That's the Scripture. That's their message. That's our message tonight. Are we living it? Are we carrying it? Are we looking up? Are we looking out? Let's pray. Lord, we love you. We thank you for this night. God, we're just grateful that you would show us these things in your word, Lord. And God, that you would be uh, so patient with us, Lord. How patient you are with the lost world. But Lord, I think about how patient you are with those of us who, who know the truth and, and often just neglect it. Lord, I pray that you would help us to be like Enoch, to be like these men, to be like Noah, to walk with you. Lord, we can be good all we want. We can be religious and churchy all we want. But Lord, all that matters in our life at this point in time and for eternity's sake, is that we would walk with You, that we would call upon Your name. Lord, may those two things be said of our life, not so that anyone would think any good of us, but that they would think all the good of You, and that they would think about how gracious and kind You've been, Lord, to save souls, to, to give us Your promise, your, your provision, to bring us into Your presence. Lord, may we long and look forward to that eternal day, that day of rest in You. And Lord, until that day, may we find that whether we're working, whether we're resting, that we would be doing so. Uh, with you, through you, by you, and, and, and ultimately for you, God. 
We thank you for this time. Go with us now, and, and Lord, may it be used of you. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, y'all have a blessed night. Enjoy that cold, and we'll see you Sunday morning.